Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. My name is Dan, and it's an honor to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, John Paul, our senior pastor, is involved in a, a residency program for his Doctor of Ministry degree, and so he's getting a couple of weeks off. And so we're uh, just, yeah, I'd encourage you to be praying for him, uh, that it would be a time of refreshment and renewal and, and inspiration for him. So uh, we'll see him in a couple more weeks, but it's just an honor to be here. Of course, we're welcoming, uh, as I said, First Baptist Methuen. It's great to have you worshiping with us. Welcome, and hope you're encouraged today. Hey, I don't, uh, I don't know if, you are, if you've been able to uh, track with us uh, in the Hebrews campaign that we're in as a church, but maybe you've been following along with our sermons uh, or engaging with our small group material or the daily devotionals, but I just commend this to you. I was involved in writing some of the devotional material, actually the ones that are going to be coming out this week, and so I got to sit with those passages for, for a long time, and then, of course, preparing for this sermon. And it's just, there's just power as we just meditate on Scripture and sit with it. And so um, I, I, I commend it to you and would love to, would love to have you engage uh, in, in that campaign with us. Well, on the consumer side of my life, when it comes to spending money and, and buying things, I tend to be a little bit tight-fisted. I... I'm one of those guys, I like to understand what I'm paying for and, and, and why I have to pay for it, and especially when we're talking about a lot of money. Is there anybody else out there who's with me, who's a little hesitant to hand over that credit card sometimes? Well, one of the best examples that came to my mind as I'm thinking about this is auto repairs. So I've been to these, these shops before where you go in for a simple oil change or something, you know, 30, 40 bucks, and you come back and you pick up the car and you're presented with a thousand dollars worth of work that you're supposed to get done and it's urgent and it needs to happen or your car is going to blow up or something. And, you know, I've been at some of these places and I, you know, okay, what, what am I supposed to do with that? And I, I like to ask questions and I like to try to understand. And sometimes at some of these shops, they're not always the best at explaining things to you. They don't seem to care a whole lot about answering your questions and they just kind of brush you off. And so in those situations... I'm definitely a little uneasy about handing over that credit card and about that transaction. But a few years ago, I found a great auto mechanic in Beverly, and it's a place where I feel like they don't upsell me. You know, I feel like I know, I know what I'm going to get there. I feel like when they present me with work that has to get done, that I'm heard and that they answer my questions and they take time to explain two or three or four times or however long is needed. I feel like I've got a personal connection with them. I, my mechanic, Mauro and Beverly, I even text message back and forth with him. So that kinda, that's kind of where we're at, you know? We've got a relationship, and, and there's trust, and there's, there's confidence. And, and so I'm confident that Mauro and his guys, they know what they're doing. And I'm also confident that they're not going to take advantage of me. And so confidence there makes, makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because where there's confidence, there's trust, there's openness, there's less confusion, there's clarity. You feel like you'll be received in the right way, you'll be received well, and it just makes for a better relationship, doesn't it? Well, a question for this morning that I want to explore is, how can we be confident with God? How can we be confident before God? What will improve our relationship with him such that there's more trust and openness and Understanding and just a, just a confidence that will be received well. And even for us, as people who make mistakes, who get it wrong, who 
don't always have the answers, who don't always understand. How can even we, as those people, have this confidence before God? Well, I think our text for this morning out of Hebrews helps us to see that we can be confident with God because of Jesus. Jesus is the key. And I see two particular reasons why in our text this morning that we're going to look at. And the first is we can be confident with God because Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. And then secondly, because Jesus was obedient. Before we dive into our text this morning, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's powerful and active to speak to us. So we pray that that would happen in our hearts and our lives this morning. Thank you, God, for Jesus and the gift of your love expressed in him. And so we thank you for that. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning, we'll have an even richer and deeper sense of Jesus. So we give you thanks for this time. Amen. I just want to offer a little bit of quick background repeat about the book of Hebrews. Again, maybe for those that haven't been able to kind of follow along with us in the series or just in general, it's good to have a refresher. But Hebrews is this this amazing book. It's filled of full of these images and allusions to the Old Testament and and pictures. And it takes us again and again and again to this sense that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's the ultimate mediator. And the list goes on and on about Jesus. And we actually don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, We're not told. There's some theories, but we can only speculate. But there's good reason to believe that Hebrews was written to a group of people, maybe living in Rome, and they were probably predominantly Jewish Christians. So they were coming from a Jewish background into faith in the Messiah, into faith in Christ. But in Rome there, it seems that they probably faced some hardship. They probably faced some struggle, some, some persecution from the outside. As we look at the book of Hebrews, as we will over these weeks, we see just repeated exhortations just to hold fast to Christ, you know, to not let go of their confidence. And so this was probably a group of people that was a little beaten up, that had some hardships, some doubts, some struggle, and some temptations along the way. But as we zero in our text for this morning, we see first, again, that we can be confident before God because Jesus was a sympathetic high priest. So to boost the confidence of this group that the writer of this letter is writing to, he says in in verse 415, he used this word confidence. It's also translated boldness or courage, and it's used elsewhere in the book of Hebrews. It seems to be a recurring theme. But he reminds us that, that Jesus is a sympathetic great high priest. Hebrews, as I said, is full of these allusions, these images, these references, and uh, it uses plenty of scripture from the Old Testament throughout. And so the priest that the writer has in mind here may not be the priest that we have in mind, you know, our modern day conception of a, maybe a Catholic priest or other member of clergy, priests in other setting. What the writer probably has in mind here is the priest that officiated the Old Testament system of worship and sacrifice and all the things related to the temple. And so priests oversaw all this, all the cleansing and animal sacrifices and offerings and all these things that were just all part of their worship of God at, their, at the temple. And then there was the high priest, the greatest of, among the priests, and of, that, and of the priests 
we're told Jesus is the greatest high priest. But this high priest had this unique responsibility of once a year going into the most sacred, the most holy, the most set-apart part of the temple and offering sacrifice, offering the blood of sacrificed animals so that the sins of the people and that his own sins would be forgiven. And he did that on the Day of Atonement, the most, the most holy day of the year. So these priests, because they're overseeing all of these things, they have this mediating function, right, between the people on one hand and then a holy God on the other. And how do we bridge the two? And so the priests stood in that gap. And so they're mediators. But of course, as we see, Jesus becomes the ultimate mediator between God and us. But part of this office, too, as we see here clearly in this text, is that these priests deal with messed up people, people that get it wrong, people that stray, people that have weaknesses, people like us, right? And so we're going to read in chapter 4, verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 2, and it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Then it goes on in chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then see this. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself was subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And so the writer here, he exhorts the people that they can go to God in confidence. They can approach Jesus, their great high priest, even in their sin, even in their weakness, even in their moments of doubt. Well, we can probably all remember times, maybe when we were kids, where we crossed a line or we did something bad or we messed up. I can remember one time when I was about nine years old and my family was on vacation at the Jersey Shore one summer and my half-brother Jim came to visit us and I don't know why, I think I was probably bored or something, but I, I remember going back to where the cars were parked and I remember taking a little stick and pretending I, like I could pick the lock on his driver's side door. So I'm picking at it, trying to pretend like I could get, get in. And of course what happened was a stick broke off and so then the driver's side door keyhole is just jammed with a stick. And so it's useless at this point. And I remember, of course, when it was time for my, my brother Jim to leave, of course, he couldn't get into his car. He couldn't get into the driver's side. And I remember my parents and him talking about this, going back and forth and kind of chatting about this and them complaining, oh, this must have been some stupid neighborhood kid who came through and screwed around and messed with the lock. And I could hear all of this conversation happening. But of course, in that moment, I, I didn't confess, right? Like, it's so hard. It's so hard to come clean in that moment. And I think, I think truth be told, I think the truth about that whole situation didn't really come to light until I was in my 20s. So uh, it, was, it was buried for a long, long time. But we, we joke about it uh, these days. But it's just hard to confess our weakness. 
You know, it's hard to come forward with that. What's interesting now as a parent, my perspective has changed a little bit. When my five-year-old daughter comes to us to, to tell us something she's done wrong or to confess something, and those are rare moments, by the way. Normally, I'm just discovering her doing wrong things. But, but when that does happen on rare occasions, you know, I almost melt, right? Like, all I can do is just comfort her and reassure her and tell her she's forgiven and tell her, hey, you know, let's do a better job next time. But I realize that some of us in the room may have had other experiences with parents or with authorities. Maybe you weren't received well. Maybe you were terrified to make a mistake because of what you knew the consequences might be. Maybe you weren't received well. But as the writer, again, of our passage reminds us, Jesus is a sympathetic high priest who deals gently with us. The most amazing thing about this is that Jesus, unlike these earthly high priests who were sinful, who were fallen, who were broken, who did have to offer sacrifice for their own sins, Jesus was sinless. He was pure. He was holy. He had no sin of his own to atone for. But what did he do instead? He became a sacrifice for us. So here Jesus is as the priest. And yes, he offers sacrifice up to God. But what was the sacrifice? It was his own life. It was his own life. So even this perfect, sinless Jesus, even this Jesus deals gently with us because he too was subject to weakness and hardship and temptation. Well, again, some of us may struggle with this idea of a gentle God. Again, maybe if we grew up in dysfunctional environments, it's harder to relate to that. And sometimes we translate those experiences, those ideas onto God. But to know God, right, we have to look at the Bible. What, is the, what does the Bible truly say? What picture do we get there? And one of the most famous pictures we get is the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus gives us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. If you're not familiar with the parable about the prodigal son, essentially the first part of the story goes like this, is that there's a younger son, and he goes to his father kind of brusquely, and he says, Father, just give me your, my portion of the inheritance, right? So basically, he just, he's just essentially saying, Father, I wish you would just die so I could get your money. And then what does he do? He goes off with, with the money he's given, and he squanders it in wild living. But then he eventually gets hungry. His money runs out. He's homeless. He's got nothing to eat. And so he decides to tuck his tail and return to his true home. And he does this in shame. But what do we read in Luke 15, starting in verse 20? He says that Jesus, describing the father and the son approaching, he says that while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So what do we see there? 
We see a picture that God loves to restore us. God loves to receive us with grace and mercy, even as we come to him in our shame and in our sin. I think of other, plenty of other scriptures that inform my picture of who God is. I think of Psalm 103, verses 8 and 10. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Or I think of Romans 2.4. It says this, God's kindness leads you towards repentance. God's kindness leads you towards repentance. So this is who God is. This is who God is. This is who our sympathetic high priest is. Well, I don't know what struggles or sin you may be dealing with today. Maybe you're weighed down by such shame that you don't even bother coming to God. But that's ultimately foolish of us, even though it's so easy to do. And why is that? Look at verse chapter 4, verse 13, the verse right before our text for this morning. It says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So God sees everything. He knows everything. So why hide? Why fear? Why keep your distance? Others of us in the room, maybe we just tend to orbit. Maybe we feel like we're orbiting God a little bit. We feel like we're pretty much on top of things. We're pretty self-sufficient. We're pretty in control. And maybe God's just a resource. You know, We go to him when we need him, but maybe we just orbit him. Don't always relate to him as our sympathetic great high priest. But you know, that sense of achievement, that sense of our own effort, our own ability, I mean, that's going to run out on us sometimes, doesn't it? You know, we're going to face disappointments. We're going to face discouragements. And the thing about that orbit, as you think about that picture, is that things are supposed to stay in orbit, aren't they? They're supposed to stay in that loop. And so it can become very easy just to stay looping like that and to depend on ourselves. But if we're relying on ourselves, we too may be astray. And Jesus is calling us to himself for grace and mercy. So we see we can have confidence with God because Jesus, this Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And do you know that as he's there, that he prays for you? Jesus intercedes for you. Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. And he deals gently with us because he too was subject to weakness. And he's a priest forever. Our text says that he's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We can always count on him. Melchizedek, you'll hear more about this mysterious figure in a couple weeks from Pastor John when he shares more about him. But Melchizedek was the first priest king. And so Jesus comes from that line. And so Jesus is not only a priest, but he's a king. And he's gentle with us and so we can be confident before God. But perhaps the most important reason that we can be, for, be confident before God is because Jesus was obedient. Because Jesus was obedient. We see, as we look at verses 7 through 10, we see a picture of Jesus' perfect obedience. So look with me there. Starting in verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. 
And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews here probably has in mind that episode that you may recall where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see this recorded in Mark chapter 14, Matthew 26, and Luke 22. And there in the garden, Jesus is in incredible agony, incredible distress. Why? Because he knows and he anticipates the suffering and the death that awaits him. The reason that he came to this earth. And so he anticipated all the, the pain and the agony of, of bearing all of, all of sin and the separation from the Father that he would experience there. And he had never experienced that before. And so he, he, here he is in such distress. And there in the garden, Jesus prayed. You know, we see Jesus' humanity. He prays that this cup of suffering would pass from him. He prays, God, if there's any other way. But as we know, as we read the story, we know that he does suffer. And we know that he is crucified on the cross. So in verse 7 here, when we're told that Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission, he's not heard in the sense that he gets to dodge the suffering and the crucifixion that await him. He's, he's heard in the sense that he was strengthened to go through it. And he's also ultimately raised from the dead, ultimately delivered from death and vindicated by God. And so God hears him because of his reverent submission. It's also interesting, this thought in verse 9, it talks about Jesus once made perfect. What does that, what does that mean? Was Jesus sinful? Was he imperfect? Did he have moral issues during his earthly life? Well, no. The sinlessness of Jesus is, is critical for us. But this idea is perfection. It's used nine times in the book of Hebrews. And so it comes up many, many times. And each time it has to do with completion, finishing, fulfillment. And that's the kind of profession that, perfection that we're talking about here. So for Jesus, he lived this obedient life. But then his obedience was fulfilled, completed, perfected in his death. And in his obedience, even in the face of suffering and death. And so another way we can understand this interesting verse is that once Jesus' obedience was fully completed, you might say, through his passion and crucifixion, he became the source of eternal salvation. Maybe think about it this way. A school wouldn't declare its valedictorian or a perfect student halfway through the school year. Right? All the tests have to be submitted. All the grades have to come in. All the exams, all the papers, all that has to be submitted until someone's performance can be evaluated or appraised or before someone's going to be called a perfect student or valedictorian. So they have to pass all the tests first. Well, Jesus passed all the tests. He passed all the tests. And so his obedience was made perfect. Well, what was the result of Jesus' obedience? We see it in verse 9 here, too, is that, again, he becomes the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. Aren't we so grateful for that? Because if Jesus hadn't been obedient, if he had wiggled his way out of the cross, if he had detoured around this whole thing, then we wouldn't have forgiveness for our sins. We would be lost in our sins. But he, he did. He was obedient, and so he has become our salvation. And the amazing thing that happens, friends, 
is that once we place our faith in Jesus and not in ourselves, his goodness, his righteousness, his obedience becomes ours. That's how God sees us because of Jesus. And so all the more we can stand before God with confidence because of Jesus. So we can be confident with God because first, he's our sympathetic high priest. He receives us well. He deals gently with us. He invites us to himself. Even in our temptations, our challenges, our sins, he can relate not to sin, but to temptation and to weakness. And so he receives us and he understands. And then more importantly, we can be confident before God because Jesus was obedient, even in the face of suffering and death. And he's made a way for us. He's made a way for us. And as I said, when we've trusted in Christ, again, we have to understand, when we've trusted in Christ and not ourselves, we become righteous in him. And that's how God sees us and receives us. And we don't have to fear God. We don't have to approach him him with fear or hide from him. Well, as we conclude, and the band can come back up at this time. Friends, for some of us here this morning, our first step to confidence with God is finally just putting our trust in Jesus Christ. Finally just saying yes to him. We notice in our text that Jesus has become the source of eternal salvation for who? For those who obey him. And so this morning, the question for some of us is, have I obeyed Jesus by responding to his call to repent and believe the good news? Because we can't save ourselves. Our works, our own striving, our achievement, none of it really counts in the end. Because we've all messed up, we've all sinned, we've all missed the mark. But Jesus hasn't. Jesus hasn't. And so he's our source of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And if that's, if that's maybe where you're at this morning, whether you're here with us or you're listening and online, I invite you just to pray a prayer, pray a simple prayer. And if you are with us online, there's a way for you to request prayer. You'll see a button. And that we'd have, we have folks who would just love to pray with you in these moments. But whether it's in this moment or maybe sometime later today, I, I, I just recommend something like this. Here's, here's a prayer that you could go to God with. It's, God, I know I've messed up. You know, I've done things that dishonor you and dishonor others. I know that I can't save myself and I'm tired of trying. God, I know that you died on the cross to forgive my sins. You gave your life for me, and so I receive that forgiveness now. Help me to trust you and follow you all my days moving forward. Well, if you pray something like that, if you take that step, if that's that's what God is calling you to, tell someone. Tell someone. Tell maybe a friend that you came with. Tell me. Tell one of our elders, our leaders, our staff. We just want to celebrate with you and support you. Because that's the most important decision you'll ever make. Others of us in the room, maybe we've committed to Jesus. We've been following him for a while. But are you, are you orbiting? Are you orbiting in this season? Are you relying on your own achievement, your own goodness? Well, if you haven't already experienced this, you probably soon will. Is that that's going to let you down. Probably in this COVID season, fewer and fewer of us are feeling awesome about ourselves or feeling like we're really in control or we're really great human beings. 
And so my guess is that many of us feel like we need God's grace and mercy more now than ever. And so if you're, if you're orbiting, if you need to draw close to Jesus for his grace and mercy, because he's a sympathetic high priest and because he's made a way, respond to his invitation this morning and don't miss out on what he has for you. Well, earlier this week, I, I felt like I was, I had this day where I felt like I was just kind of being a jerk with my family. I was, I was short, I was impatient, I wasn't loving. You know, it was one of those days, right? And by the time, at the end of the day, when I finally thought about it and I finally prayed into it, I just felt like I had this sense that God said, yeah, I was waiting for you to show up. You know, God's just waiting for us to show up. He's just waiting for us to come to him because he's a sympathetic high priest. Because we, have, we can have confidence before him and because he's made a way. And so in whatever way that looks like for you, I just encourage you to show up and come to Jesus because he has grace and mercy for you in your time of need. Amen.